Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Good evening, everyone. I'm Laura Coates, and this is CNN Tonight. Look, we're covering all the big stories on a very busy news night. You've got Hurricane Adalia lashing the southeast at this very moment and threatening flooding, storm surges, and strong winds as it goes. Now, look at this incredible video, by the way. A car flipping over in a tornado in South Carolina. Almost like CGI for a second. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, some communities on Florida's Gulf Coast are cut off. Thousands are without power. We'll go to the Weather Center before the brand new forecast. Plus, there's a health scare. Dr. Sanjay Gupta is here to explain what, what might be going on with Mitch McConnell, who appeared to freeze in the middle of a Q&A with reporters in Kentucky today. Well, just like he did at the Capitol last month. Senator, you're up for election in three short years. What are your thoughts on that? Sorry, I had a hard time hearing you. That's okay. What are your thoughts on running for re-election in 2026? What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Oh. That's good. Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? All right, I'm sorry, you all. We're going to need a minute. So what exactly is happening and what does it say about the fitness of the 81-year-old senator to lead the Republican caucus? And tonight on the docket, a federal judge has determined that Rudy Giuliani has lost the defamation lawsuit from the Georgia election workers, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. That's after he failed to provide information that was sought in subpoenas. I mean, he upended their lives when he singled them out, falsely accusing them of ballot tampering. I've lost my name, and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. All because a group of people, starting with number 45 and his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter, Shay. More on all this soon. And let's begin now with our breaking news. There's a brand new forecast right now for Adalia. Chad Myers is in the Weather Center. Chad, what are you seeing? 
We lost five more miles per hour, down to 60 miles per hour now. Now, that doesn't really take it down to something that's not damaging. We could still see power lines coming down here with winds at that speed. I'm also seeing a very big blow-up of bright colors here across the Piedmont of South Carolina and also almost upstate there of North Carolina. That is an area I'm concerned about. Very heavy rainfall still coming down at this hour. One more area here of a blow-up over the Gulf Stream, and that's the area that's going to rotate into coastal Carolinas over the next couple of hours, and they, each one of those storms could actually have a tornado involved with it. But right now, moving offshore by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, finally departing the North Carolina coast and maybe out of our way. Now, we are going to see the chance of some severe weather tonight. Still, the tornado watches are in effect, so these storms are coming onshore here, and as they spin onshore, they can bring water spouts onshore. I know that I've seen at least four tornadoes that actually came through and onshore today uh, and probably go through with the National Weather Service tomorrow, taking a look at that damage if there really was any. There's the spin right now. We aren't seeing significant spin at this hour, so nothing like EF2s or EF3 damage. So I think as we zoom in here, the center of circulation is just now moving across Charleston. You can see this light little circle right there of rainfall. It's not an eye, obviously, but it's just kind of the ring around the middle of the forecast cone there. So an awful lot of flooding still coming down tonight, and flood warnings are in effect. Please don't go outside and drive through the flooding. It's very, very hard to see. And here's Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the boardwalk and the promenade. Nobody out there. And I'm very happy about that. Now, the waves out here have been quite rough all day long, but at least nobody's out and about. Laura. Chad Myers, thank you so much. And again, heeding the warning everyone about trying to drive through floodwaters, very important. People are going to be taking a lot of stock about the damage that has already passed through from Adalia. Let's go now to CNN's Diane Gallagher, who's in Wilmington, North Carolina, where the governor has urged residents to stock up even ahead of Adalia. Diane, what are the conditions like right now where you're at? So, Laura, we are in Carolina Beach, which is just a little bit south of the Wilmington area, sort of on one of those little barrier island uh, just across the bridge. And actually, this is the lightest breeze that we've had. It's starting to kick up again, but we've been experiencing those gusts of wind out here that are sort of moving the palm trees about. Uh, we earlier saw out here on the boardwalk moving some of the carnival rides actually by the wind. Uh, but what they are mostly concerned about is exactly what Chad was talking about that in the coming hours we're under a tornado watch until 4 a.m our expectation is that this is going to worsen and because of the king tide it's something that we have heard everybody from florida south carolina georgia talk about that storm surge that idalia could bring could create flooding, especially in areas that the emergency management director of New Hanover County told me are already trouble areas that tend to flood when they have higher king tide anyway. Now, again, you can see the wind starting to pick up a bit, moving this swing here, some of the dune grass as well. And we've watched the tide come in. You can't see the ocean because it's obviously nighttime. It's dark. But we're seeing these dunes, according to the town manager here in Carolina Beach, hopefully protect most of the areas from severe flooding. The expectation is they will have some moderate flooding, especially in the northern part of Carolina Beach and likely in downtown Wilmington because of the king tide and the storm surge along with the rain. We've had some very heavy belts of rain. We expect that to continue throughout the night. 
And they say that the hope is that it's over by late morning, but they're asking people to stay out of the floodwater, of course. If you don't desperately need to go somewhere in the morning, wait until late morning or early afternoon to leave your homes and just stay in a safe place as the storm continues to pass. They're also warning visitors. You know, there's a holiday weekend coming up. There's a lot of people we've met who are already here on vacation. They're asking them to stay out of the ocean, noting that Hurricane Franklin out in the Atlantic, as well as the incoming Idalia and what it's doing to the swells there in the ocean, uh, that it makes for very difficult currents. And it's not going to necessarily be hospitable for people who are not strong surfers or strong swimmers. And so, Laura, this could continue well into the weekend after the bad weather is gone, asking those tourists to stay out of the ocean because it could continue to be dangerous for days to come. Right now, they're looking ahead to the morning, but uh, their long-term concern is, of course, this weekend when the sun may be out and most of the tourists are on the beach. Diane, that's such an important statement for people to continue to be vigilant, know what's going on. Yeah. Don't take for granted that you have all the information. You've got to stay apprised of all of the details because you just never know. Diane Gallagher, thank you so much. Look, joining us now is Charleston Deputy Fire Chief Jason Cruzen. A flood watch actually remains in effect in Charleston until at least 2 a.m. Jason, thank you for being here tonight. I mean, you're the overnight commander in the emergency center tonight. What is happening in Charleston right now? What are the conditions like? Uh, yes, good night or good evening. Um, we, um, we're seeing a, a lot of uh, response calls at this time. Um, we're still seeing a lot of the bands come through uh, with some, some lulls through, but we are seeing a lot of flooded streets. We currently have about 50 streets that are closed uh, due to flooding. Uh, specifically, and we've rescued uh, a little over 20 people so far from stranded vehicles that they've driven through into the floodwater. So we definitely want to urge people to stay out of the floodwater, stay home. Uh, and as you just reported, you know, when, when light comes, please stay home. Let us go out and do our damage assessment so we can see what areas are in need uh, based from the result of the flooding. So the majority of those calls coming in are from people who have been in their vehicles. I, I always wonder about how those rescue operations will take place. It's obviously very dangerous for anyone to drive through floodwaters, for people to try to get to them and try to rescue them as well. Are you getting a sense, are these families in these cars? Are these people who tried to leave beforehand and got caught, caught in something? Are you getting a sense of who, in fact, has been the most vulnerable? I think it would be yes, all the above. Um, we're seeing workers that uh, maybe were, were held over at work later than, than they anticipated and they weren't able to get out in time and, and uh, they were stranded, you know, trying to get home. Um, we have a lot of tourists, so we have people that may be unfamiliar with, with some of the flooding that we experience and then uh, the storm just adds to that, uh, to our normal flooding that we do see. Do you have the resources in, in terms of, obviously, you said tourists and many people just with all the news and just the, the following of this particular storm, you almost forget for a second that it is a huge travel and tourism weekend right now happening. And many people may have already been in the area anticipating this wasn't going to impact them if they were in the Carolinas, but it would only be in Florida. For many people who might want to now venture out, who might be taking stock of what they're seeing in the skies and think, you know what, I might be okay what message do you want to send to those who are trying to maybe venture out of their homes tomorrow morning? Well, from, from the initial reports, our flooding is, is our biggest concern right now. Um, we, we've been lucky. The winds have been um, 
not as bad as we anticipated, which is a good thing. Um, but the, the flood is, um, is still a concern. So when we have flooded streets, we're hoping a lot of that will subside very quickly before light. But mm-hmm. we're still going to have those pocketed areas where we have um, a standing water. So we don't want people to venture out uh, even on foot if they're not even driving into the area because they want to enjoy the city. Uh, we just ask that they stay in a little while. Let us get out. Let our crews get out and assess the area. Uh, ensure that everything's safe if we had any down power lines uh, or any electrical hazards. And then there's always the, the concerns with the, the contaminants that may be in the flood water or unsure of what's underneath that water. You could slip and trip and fall or, or fall into an opening and, and hurt yourself. So um, we just ask that everybody wait and give us a little bit of time until we can get out and, and notify the community that it is safe to get out. Really important messages. Jason Cruson, thank you so much. Yes, thank you, and have a great night. You too. As the storm moves on, Florida's Gulf Coast, well, they're beginning the recovery. You've got the Pasco County Administrator saying that approximately four to 6,000, four to 6,000 homes were damaged. Joining us now is the mayor of Port Ritchie, Florida, John Eric Hoover. Port Ritchie is a city in Pasco County. Mayor Hoover, thank you for being with us this evening. You've actually surveyed part of your city earlier today. Let me be your, you know, be our eyes for a second. What did you see? So I went out early this morning after the uh, the water had started to subside uh, in my truck, obviously because several of the roads, <clears throat> as you see there in the, in the photo, that uh, you know they were they were still very deep, uh, and so you know, my car couldn't pass. But uh, so I drove around the city. Several of our roads were impassable uh, unless you had a, a a vehicle that was you know up in the air a little bit. They had Humvees for the police department that were helping rescue folks. Um, and getting those uh, those folks to shelters, <clears throat> but uh, a lot of the roads were impassable. And then, um, so as I drove around the city, um, several homes had had uh, water had inundated them. I think the most uh, the height about three foot possibly was uh, some of the homes two foot to three foot had water that high in those homes. So, and that's four to six thousand or so homes that we have get an estimate about that have been impacted. How many rescues? Are we talking about, and, and everyone is wanting to know, especially, I mean, have there been any injuries that you've been aware of, any fatalities? Yeah, no, no fatalities or injuries that I've that been made aware of, but uh, we did have 20-plus uh, citizens that were uh, water rescued and taken to shelters. We had, I think, 23 actually taken to shelters. Uh, and again, these are preliminary results. We are uh, still assessing that, but uh, these were the preliminary results. So what are the most pressing needs now at this very hour? So the pressing needs now, obviously, people are, are doing cleanup in their homes. Um, the city is going to be getting dumpsters uh, together so that uh, as uh, they put their you know, furniture that's been damaged and, and stuff out, that uh, that would be collected and, and taken to the, the dump and so, so forth. That's what uh, we're focused on now, obviously, is getting that cleanup started. There's a lot of coordination, obviously, from the different jurisdictions. Have you heard from the governor? I have not. Have you heard from other uh, mayors in the area around you? Is there some coordination about what to do next? No, our city is run by the city manager, um, so the uh, council and myself are kind of out of the loop because our city manager basically runs those operations. I don't know if he's, if he's heard from any of those entities or not, but I have not. Well, there's a lot of individual and collective effort at this point to try to uh, course correct after this tropical storm now and the hurricane as well. Thank you, Mayor John Eric Hoover. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Well, there has been a health scare for Senator Mitch McConnell today. Dr. Sanjay Gupta is here to discuss what happened and what it might mean. That's next. 
Another scary moment today when Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell froze while taking questions from reporters in Kentucky. What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Oh, that's right. Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? All right, I'm sorry, you all, we're gonna need a minute. Senator, Benny. Yep. I'm head outside, so I'll come with us. <clears throat> okay. Somebody else have a question? Please speak up. Um, what efforts is Daniel Cameron going to have to make on the campaign trails when Kentucky is over in November? Senator Daniel Cameron, uh, do you have a comment on Daniel Cameron? Well, I think the governor's race is going to be very close. Um, <clears throat> far and away the best candidate we could have nominated. And, um, our state has become increasingly Republican. In fact, the governor is the only Democrat left in Frankfurt. So I'm optimistic that Daniel will be our next governor of Kentucky. It was difficult to watch. It's almost the second time McConnell has had an incident like this in public. The last time was just a month ago. And all this follows a March fall at a hotel in Washington, a fall that landed McConnell in the hospital. Joining me now, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, also Mano Rajuj, CNN's chief congressional correspondent. You know, first of all, Mano, when I ask you, how, how is McConnell doing right now? This is very startling to have seen all of that unfold, and it's difficult to watch. Yeah, it, it was, and he's trying to carry on like business as mm-hmm. usual. In the immediate aftermath of this episode, an aide told me that he was going to see a doctor. This is different than what they said after his July freeze of 30 seconds, very similar. At the time, they said he was lightheaded. They're saying at this time he was also feeling lightheaded. What they're not saying is what is the underlying cause and what led him to that. They're not saying what happened at that doctor's appointment, assuming he did get cons- he did consult with the doctor in immediate, in immediate aftermath. He did attend a fundraiser uh, later in the day with Congressman Jim Banks, who's running for the Senate in Indiana. I'm told that uh, the senator was engaging. He was sharp in the words of one person. He took questions. They had a wide-ranging discussion with him and Banks. But, Laura, he did not talk about the episode at all. I'm told that did not come up at all. He has been on the phone with Republican allies, too, through the course of the day, including his number two, John Thune, someone who could potentially succeed him, his leader. And I'm told from Thune's office that they had a very good discussion. It was very positive. He's like his usual self, but really no details other than that. I mean, that's the question, though, right? When everyone's watching all this unfold, Sanjay, I mean, it's so unsettling to watch him, unable to respond, seemingly frozen. You know, I'm watching as a layman. You're watching as, of course, an expert. What are you seeing here? You know, I'm saying the same thing. I mean, you know, it, it, it is a sort of significant episode of freezing. And, 
you know, you typically think if someone is lightheaded, they might want to sit down. Uh, they're not frozen per se. Uh, this was frozen both in speech and in body, but also in his hands. If you look at uh, the, the video, Laura, you'll see his aide comes over to him, tries to take his hand, sort of really clutching the sides of the lectern very, very closely. So uh, the same things. And there's, there's a long list of things that could possibly cause this, you know, uh, is it, is it a slight sort of um, what they call a TIA, a transient ischemic attack, a mini seizure? Could it be a Parkinson's-like thing? And, and if your medications are starting to wear off, you can have episodes of freezing. But the fact that his aides, they, they actually let him continue to answer another question, as you saw there. They didn't seem that surprised by this. Uh, we saw this in July, but you get the impression that they're they become somewhat accustomed to dealing with this. And my guess is his doctors know as well, which is why there's not this rush. You think that's a very unusual sort of thing that happened. Mm -hmm. He should be seen right away, and he should. But that doesn't seem to be the case, which means that there may be some uh, knowledge of what's going on here already by the doctors and his aides. Mano, I wonder, what does this mean for his you know, his tenure in office. I mean, his, yeah. his future. He is the Senate minority leader and been a formidable one throughout his career. Yeah, and look, the longest serving party leader in Senate history, Republican or Democrat. He surpassed the record earlier this year. The question has long been, even before all this, how long you could continue to serve beyond this Congress. The Congress ends at the end of next year. His term does not end until he runs again, if he were to run again, in 2026. So the question is, what does he do in 2025? There's no question at the moment he's going to continue to try to serve until the end of this Congress. Next Congress, that is going to be the big question. And will he continue to do that or step aside? There is there's already some calls from folks calling for him to step aside, mm -hmm. saying so there should be some change, typically from folks from the Democratic Party. We've now heard many Republicans, certainly no Republican senators, saying that today. But uh, one Congressman, Dean Phillips, he's a Minnesota Democrat. He's someone who has been critical of Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden being in office for too long, said, for goodness sake, the families, friends and staff of Senators Feinstein and McConnell are doing them and our country a tremendous disservice. It's time for term limits for Congress and the Supreme Court in some basic human decency. Phillips, of course, calling up this 90-year-old Senator Dianne Feinstein, who has had her own health episodes. But that is uh, comes with the territory in this in this institution, particularly if in a senator in a situation like this with the spotlight on him and in that prime position, if he stumbles like that, expect the calls for him to retire to intensify. I understand President Biden has weighed in, though. President Biden has weighed in. He spoke to him. Uh, he said he was going to speak to him, reach out to him early today, wish him the best. They are. They've been close. At, they've been they've known each other for a very long time. Uh, and uh, he wished him the best. Dr. Sanjay Gupta Manuraju, thank you so much. Two of Donald Trump's co-defendants in the Georgia election interference case, well, they want a speedy trial. Except, does he? And if he doesn't, what happens next? We'll tell you after this. Well, tonight, two of former President Donald Trump's co-defendants have now asked a judge to formally separate their cases from the sprawling overall indictment. Attorneys Ken Chesbro and Sidney Powell have already invoked their speedy trial rights, teeing them up 
for, well, October trials. The question is, what could this mean for Donald Trump's case? I want to bring in former Georgia prosecutor Chris Timmons, along with CNN legal analyst Michael Moore, who is a former U.S. attorney in the Middle District of Georgia. I'm glad to have you both here. Thank you so much. Let me begin with you, Chris, because Sidney Powell... Ken Chesbro, they have now filed separately to sever their cases from Donald Trump's and the 16 other co-defendants. I want to take a step back for a moment, and I want to analyze how does that really help them in different ways? What's your take? So I think in terms of jury appeal, they want to separate themselves from Donald Trump. Um, he's a, a divisive, kind of controversial figure, and, and pretty much everyone in the country, if not the entire world, knows who he is. Um, Sidney Powell, uh, Mr. Chesbro, they're not well-known figures. And so if they get away from uh, President Trump, at least sitting beside them, they think they might have a better chance. But that said, this is a RICO indictment, so all of the acts of the former president are going to be relevant and can be admissible into evidence, even if those two are severed and given in their own trial. And vice versa, right, Michael? Because essentially, if they're able to, say, have a trial even first, for example, they their evidence could actually come in as well in some respects. And these, these cases could go as early as October 23rd. That's a hop, skip, and a jump away, people. And I'm wondering what the potential impact on Trump and the other co-defense would be, because it's very clear, just given the other cases, he doesn't want these trials to happen very quickly. They do. Right. Well, I'm glad to be with both of you. And, and you're right. Um, the two defendants that we're talking about, Ms. Powell and Mr. Cheesebro, they've opted to take advantage of the Speedy Trial Act in Georgia, which is a statute that gives them the specific right to have that case move very quickly. You have to file a motion very close to the time of indictment. And in this case, it allows and requires, actually, the, the trial to be held at least to begin in October of this year. So we see that in the and the way it's set out. What what it means basically for the Trump team is that, uh, you know, they're likely to get a preview of the state's case here because the judge is very likely not going to infringe upon his constitutional right to have an effective defense and an effective trial team and prepared attorney to move forward quickly simply because two of these co-defendants have opted to take advantage of a state statute that pushes them in, 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 a, in a sense on a rocket docket. And so and that's, the, that's just not, not I, just, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to be clear sure. on one thing you just said. Um, just because they, those two say they are able to go quickly and they've asserted disputed trial rights, it doesn't mean that, okay, two of you have now decided for everyone, either all of that's you go correct. on this date or none of you go. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, the, the idea of judicial efficiency will not overrule the constitutional right to have lawyers to prepare a case uh, in an in, in effective way. And so Trump and the rest of the people who do not want to move forward so quickly and did not opt to take advantage of the Georgia Speedy Trial Act, they'll say, look, we need plenty of time. The DA took eight months with a special purpose grand jury. She's taken two and a half years to prepare this case. We need at least more than 60 days to get ready. Uh, and, and I think that's, uh, if they don't get that, I think that it's a certain reversal on appeal if there was a conviction. I mean, Chris, Sometimes the defendant, obviously, and they have all, every right to assert their speedy trial rights, but then if the prosecutor comes back and actually gives a date, then maybe a bluff has been called, and they have to then figure out how they're going to be able to, if the prosecution truly is ready, be able to defend against it, evaluate all the evidence that might come in or is given to them in discovery. But, you know, we're talking about something very novel here, aren't we? This isn't federal court where you're not going to have courtroom, I mean, cameras in the courtroom. This could mean that potentially very damaging evidence will be aired on television, 
And it's an election year, as you well know, which means it's going to maybe find its way into a campaign. I'm not out on a limb even guessing that, am I? No, not at all. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a political scientist, uh, so I'm not entirely sure how that's going to uh, play out on the campaign. But you're absolutely right. Um, all of that evidence is going to be coming out. All the evidence related to the former president will be in evidence. It will be aired on live television. We'll be able to see it. The only thing we won't see uh, on this particular case would be um, the former president sitting at one of the council tables, probably with a, a, a camera, his own camera trained on him, looking for any sort of reaction he has. Uh, that's the only thing that will be missing in this case, though. If they go forward, even without the former president, he's going to be there, um, I guess, in spirit or at least legally present with all of the acts and furtherance of the conspiracy that are charged to him. Something tells me his thumbs might do the talking on social media as well, or even <laughs> campaign rallies. I'm, again, I'm just opining here for a second. But those interesting about this, and maybe people don't realize this, I found this really interesting. I mean, in a court filing, Michael, an attorney for Powell, Sidney Powell, is now arguing that she never represented Trump or his campaign. It might be curious to people as to why she's making that point and what that means, especially because there is the anticipated defense from Trump, which is maybe advice of counsel that might be a part of this. What do you make of her statements, Michael, through the counsel? Well, both Cheesebro and, and Ms. Powell have good lawyers. I know them both. Uh, and and I'll just tell you that, uh, you know, the, the motion, is, it looks to me like, they're trying to say she's completely separate and distinct. There was not some co there was not a coordinated effort. She was not doing things at his behest. She was not doing things for him. She did not have a signed engagement letter uh, to, to make her his, his his attorney of record. And in fact, those allegations against her in this indictment are, are pretty minor compared to some of the other allegations. She's basically charged with the Coffee County part of the case, and that is dealing with the, the voting machine and access to records and those things in Coffee County, a, a fairly small slice of this case. She's not named in the, you know, the, the massive and the sprawling uh, fake elector scheme and the phone call to Raffensperger and those things. That Those are other people. And so her lawyer is saying, look, separate her out. Uh, let us try this case. I think in the motion, it actually says we can try this case in three days uh, and, and makes the... Uh, uh, statement and the assertion that the, at the end of those three days, the court would have to find her not guilty as a matter of law. So um, she's just removing herself, I think, from the, the, the bigger, I guess, hornet's nest of, uh, of, of the defendants uh, and, and by making those, those assertions. Enter the 10-foot pole, right, that sometimes Washington, D.C. can extend to people. But only in this universe that we are presently in would somebody charged with RICO and defrauding and all the different aspects be just a slice of the overall pie. Chris Timmons, Michael Moore, we're looking to talk to you as again, especially because tomorrow I think is going to be a deadline for the Mark Meadows case in terms of additional filings. I wonder what will happen there. Thank you both. It's a pleasure to be with you. Appreciate your time. Well, a judge is throwing the book at Rudy Giuliani today. Why and just how much might he be asked to pony up next? On the docket tonight, Rudy Giuliani found liable in a defamation lawsuit brought by two Georgia election workers. Now, you might remember their names, Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shea Moss. Giuliani repeatedly called them, falsely, ballot-stuffing criminal conspirators. And tonight, Ruby Freeman's attorney is speaking to CNN. Listen. 
This is a significant milestone. It is a finding of liability on every count uh, of our claims that we brought uh, in this lawsuit. And so it is a significant validation of what they have been saying since day one, which is that they were unfairly and improperly targeted for just doing their job. Let's get right to CNN political commentator Errol Lewis, CNN senior political commentator Scott Jennings, and former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti. I'm so glad that you're all here. Just put this into context for a second, Renato, because Giuliani lost this case in part because he failed to produce subpoenaed evidence. He said he struggled to even maintain his own access to his electronic records. And you have to wonder, given that a couple weeks ago he conceded in some respect that he had and made false statements, why would he go about this default in this way? Because he risks losing millions if damages, of course, are assessed. Why would he be so concerned about testifying in this matter as well, perhaps? Well, if he testifies in this matter, uh, all of that can be used against him. He's really in between a rock and a hard place here because the underlying factual issues here overlap with the Atlanta Fulton County criminal case that was just charged that you were just talking about a moment ago. And so he either has to take the fifth, which obviously would already doom him in this case, or he would have to go forward and testify and have testimony that could be used against him. So he's in a very difficult position. And as you mentioned regarding discovery, I think he really thumbed his nose at this whole process. And Judge Howell uh, I think made the correct finding that if you're not producing discovery, you're not taking this process seriously, be, you know, treating these women like any other litigant and taking them seriously, then obviously uh, you're going to have to pay the price for that. And in some respects, I think maybe he thought by conceding that he had made false statements, he would curry some favor with the judge and not have the book thrown at him. Well, clearly that was not the case, and we're still waiting for what will be assessed as damages. But interestingly enough, Errol, I mean, the judge also shot down, speaking of money, Giuliani's claims that he's having financial difficulties. One thing that she referenced, of course, what we all saw when he surrendered back in Fulton County, he showed up in a private jet, not commercial. He also listed his Manhattan apartment for six and a half million bucks. And we know that Trump is also helping to raise money for him. I think it's $100,000 a plate for a fundraiser coming up in September. Um, What do you make of the judge pointing to these, well, very obvious notions about money and Giuliani? Well, part of what the former mayor said about why he didn't comply with his discovery obligations was that he didn't have the money to really undertake a proper search for the documents that he really had to turn over. Uh, The judge didn't really buy it. Judge Howell suggested that, um, first of all, he did does appear to have some assets. And and secondly, that it appeared to be a strategic uh, lack of discovery rather than uh, than something that's really compelled Uh, I I would only mention, though, that Rudy Giuliani really is in serious financial straits. I mean, he can't practice law in New York nor in D.C. Uh, He doesn't have any clients to speak of. He is spending a lot of money uh, to fight against a lot of these different cases, and he's gotten almost no help from Donald Trump. And so uh, I know for a fact, as a matter of fact, I mean, sources told me that that private plane he showed up in Atlanta on was uh, donated by somebody who likes the mayor. It was kind of a, a, a gesture on his behalf. And um, certainly he's going to try and make money any way he can. But putting up your $6 million uh, uh, apartment is not a sign of wealth. I mean, in this case, that's where he actually lives. And so I think he's really had quite a tumble. 
We will see what else happens there. I mean, Scott, to you, Giuliani, I mean, the substance of what he was accused of doing, I mean, he accused these two women of acting suspiciously. They were passing around, I think, mints or candy, but he said they were passing around USB sticks as if they were, quote, vials of heroin or cocaine. That's a quote. Now, that also was a lie. I want you to listen for a second to what Freeman said about how that lie impacted her life. There is nowhere I feel safe. Nowhere. And when you think about the damages that could amount to millions, perhaps, of dollars, um, they were shaken, their lives were threatened. Um, and you think about how this plays out, knowing that these are election workers, right? We've got elections all around this country that are coming up, the presidential election, of course, individual states and jurisdictions and counties. This is going to really rock the core for some about, one, what it's like to be in their position and maybe deterrence for those who think that these sort of things will go unnoticed. Well, you're exactly right about our upcoming elections. I mean, our election systems are diffused, meaning we don't have a top-down system, and you have all these state and county and municipal-level jurisdictions that absolutely depend on people like these private citizens to show up and volunteer, basically, uh, to run our elections. And by the way, that's a good thing. It protects the system. And so when you're out attacking them and when you're dragging these otherwise private uh, people into the public domain and slandering them, Uh, I'm sure it has a chilling effect on the people who want to participate. I think Giuliani is getting everything he deserves in this. When a powerful person with access to the media and access to communications uh, channels that that very few people have access to drags private citizens into that domain and does what he did, they deserve to be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law. These people did nothing wrong except show up and try to volunteer uh, for their government to run an election. Uh, They should be commended for that, not have their lives turned upside down. You can never put the toothpaste back in the tube, I suppose, but at least maybe they can get some justice on the back end here. I mean, yeah, you can't unring the bells that have already been rung all here in this instance. Wait a second, second, though, because the former Trump advisor, Peter Navarro, was in court today for a hearing on his contempt of Congress case. And while speaking to reporters outside of court, he actually clashed with a nearby protester. Listen, watch this. Here's the problem. Hero. Who's this? Come on. Bro, you're already facing charges. Yeah, I get it. Go ahead and commit a so, uh, yes, okay. I mean, the sign says Trump lost, and you know it. Renato, what was he thinking in that moment? He was not thinking uh, very clearly. I have to say, uh, Mr. Navarro exercised the bad, uh, the same poor judgment that got him into this mess in the first place. Um, look, uh, you know, uh, look, uh, this whole group, group of people that Trump had surrounding him by the end, whether it's Rudy Giuliani, uh, Sidney Powell, uh, Mr. Navarro, and others, uh, they've all exercised poor judgment. Mr. Cheesebro, uh, they've all exercised poor judgment. That's why they're in the situation that they're in. And, and I think they're increasingly desperate. And it's interesting, you know, where, you know, you showed a moment ago, uh, Peter Navarro, you know, trying to basically assault a protester. I, I really think that in many ways, what Rudy Giuliani did is very similar. It's the same thing, desperate basically trying to stonewall some election workers in a lawsuit, uh, it's, it's really beneath what any officer of the court should be doing, much less somebody who at one time was a celebrated attorney. And, and I think uh, it's, it's really a fitting and sad end to that group. 
and sadly just the beginning for the experiences of Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, which is why they were fighting back on all these matters. Errol, Scott, Renato, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, they could be facing decades in prison, but you know what? We don't know yet. We'll tell you why two ex-Proud Boy leaders and their sentencing did not happen today. All right, we've got news on the sentencing of two defendants for their roles in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. The hearings for two leaders of the far-right Proud Boys have now been rescheduled after the judge canceled today's proceedings because of a medical issue. That's according to multiple sources. Enrique Tario and Ethan Nordine, both of whom were convicted of seditious conspiracy over their efforts to stop Joe Biden from becoming president in the wake of the 2020 election. They'll be sentenced later on this week and also early next week, apparently. Nordine sentencing is scheduled for Friday at 2 p.m., while Tario, the former Proud Boys chairman, will be sentenced next Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Now, the prosecutors have asked the judge to sentence Tario to 33 years in prison and Nordine to 27 years in prison. According to the DOJ, in the 28 months since January 6th, more than 1,000 individuals have been arrested in nearly all 50 states for crimes related to the breach of the U.S. Capitol. That includes more than 320 individuals charged with assaulting or impeding law enforcement. The investigation remains ongoing. I want to thank you all for watching. Our coverage continues. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.